Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I do have a, a great comment I would like to read to you. And this is from someone that has commented before, but she said, Good morning. And uh, she says, Mr. Leap, but it's, it's good morning to JBL. But anyway, she says, I don't have anything to discuss, but I don't think I learned much about George Washington in school. I just wanted you to know that I am listening. I can't be the only one listening either. This is very interesting. Please keep reading, sir. I especially love reading about the women. So thank you for this program. So I thought that was that was really nice, and uh, we're going to be coming back with some more programs related to Martha and George um, as well. So uh, so keep listening. Keep sending in those comments. I really do appreciate them. Well, last time I had concluded my discussion of why George Washington hated slavery, but I thought maybe just ought to remind you of a few things. Remember, Paul Johnson tells us on page 41 that Washington disliked slavery because he considered it economically inefficient and the incorrigible enemy of good farming. And so we're going to actually get into a little bit more of that today. But George Washington also hated it because it tied the Virginia planters to their own form of slavery. And, of course, he thought they were enslaved to the one-crop tobacco planting. And, of course, there's a little bit of economics behind that. And, and essentially, the problem was with England and the way England was, well, actually running the colonies. And this really did cause a lot of, let's say, foment between the colonies and with England. But here's essentially what was happening is England essentially controlled the tobacco trade between the colonies and Europe. So they were like the middleman. And because of the tight money supply in the colonies, I mean, the colonies were young, and uh, you know they didn't have a volume of money printed, like notes printed or, or coins mint, maybe. Uh, it's, it's probably better to say that. And so, so essentially what happened is, Money or the, the the colony money was the tobacco they grew, and so what they would do is the 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 English would come by, pick up the tobacco, and then they would use that to exchange for goods. It was like money for them. So their tobacco and the quality of it was a sign of value, and then they could purchase goods from from England, and uh, and some of them were just absolute necessities. It wasn't just like they were getting. Uh, you know, uh, luxuries. They were getting necessities from the tobacco industry, and that really was not working very well. Now, the other problem that that um, George Washington began to see, and it really bears on today's program, is he saw that growing tobacco in the Tidewater, Virginia area was very difficult. They were overplanting, they were depleting the soil, and it really did require an army of men to produce it. And uh, uh, essentially, it's it's the tobacco system with England involved economically that kind of fostered the whole idea that slavery had to continue. I mean, you just couldn't produce enough tobacco if you didn't have, you know, a, a good good a good group of slaves. 
So this whole tobacco system only worked because of slavery. And actually, uh, what we know from reading the history is that George Washington actually had a better idea. And it was a better idea. And uh, again, he wanted to uh, not have to rely on slavery, but he also wanted to see the economy of the Virginia colony do well. And so, so he did have really a very good idea. Now, for today's program, what I want to do is I want to show you the unique way that George Washington planned to get away from the need for slaves, but also how to build Virginia's colony and, uh, uh, let's say, the, the colony's economic strength. And, again, it would, it would really help everybody in the Virginia colony. And so essentially what, what uh, we want to understand here is that, that George Washington really did become an agricultural pioneer. Now, uh, he, he was not, let's say, an overly experienced farmer or an estate, um, let's say, manager. Remember, he was... Uh, this time period when we want to start talking about his move to Mount Vernon was right after the French and Indian War. And remember, he's being trained in the military. And so so after that war, he, he moved back to Mount Vernon, and he was really uh, wanting to get into planting. But let me just read to you what, uh, what Johnson says about this. And uh, uh, he really did have a lot of fondness and a really desire to be a planter, to be a husbandman. And so, so here's what Johnson states about this, and this is a quote from one of George Washington's own letters, or maybe it was from one of his, um, his journals. But this is a quote from, from Washington. He says, I think that the life of a husbandman is of all others the most delectable. It is honorable. It's amusing. And with judicious management, it is profitable. To see plants rise from the earth and flourish by the superior skill and bounty of the labor fills a contemplative mind with ideas which are more easy to be conceived than expressed. The more I am acquainted with agricultural affairs, the better I am pleased with them. I can nowhere find so great satisfaction as in those innocent and useful pursuits. So so that's really, he's very positive about about farming or about, you know, raising uh, horses. And, of course, he, he did have uh, farm animals to support what he was doing, you know, with his estates. Now, his big conclusion here, he said, it was delightful to an undebauched mind to make improvements on the earth. So, so I, I think that really says a lot about his mind and his thinking is is George Washington was not only, let's say, impressive in his stature and his physical appearance, but he was really, he had a clean mind and he had a clean sense of maybe the, the purpose for men on the earth. And of course, there is a lot of peace and there's a lot of joy that does come from farming. I know that I loved a garden. I, I grew up in a family that we loved a garden. My uh, grandfather, who I do not remember, he died when I was two, but I understand from the stories of the two of us together that I spent most of my days following him around in the garden. And uh, he grew beautiful fruits and vegetables. I mean, the the property that I grew up with was the house that he actually built. And um, uh, my mother was actually born in the house I grew up in. And we had plum trees. We had uh, apple trees. We had pear trees. We had blackberry bushes, raspberry bushes. 
I mean, we we uh, we spent a lot of our summer working in gardens and and also enjoying the fruits. Um, we had grapevines in our in our uh, family yard, and so so I I can see what George Washington is saying there. I, I filled up myself, and even uh, here I live in Edmond. I do uh, have a house on an acre, and I have converted uh, a large portion of that acre to just uh, gardening. And uh, sometimes I don't get as much time as I'd like to, but it is. It does produce a certain amount of peace, and there is a lot of a lot of uh, pleasantness to seeing these plants grow and blossom, and then uh, you know then produce the fruit. But uh, uh, essentially, what what uh, George Washington saw that he needed to do is he needed to get away from single planting farming. And that means he wanted to get away from tobacco. And here's what Johnson says on page, uh, let's see, 43. He said, but how exactly in his case were these improvements, uh, which was a, in parentheses, he says, a typical Washington term of approval. He wanted no utopias or violent transformations, merely a change for the better, end quote. He said to be brought about. So how are these improvements to be brought about? First and best thing that George Washington thought would help the Virginia colony was to get away from single crop planting. And besides, he never had any success with tobacco. And uh, uh, and he didn't have any success with it when he was a bachelor working on his farm. Then once he inherited more land and, and married uh, you know, Martha, he still didn't have any, any success with it. I want to read to you what what Chernow says about this this exact same issue, and again, it it really is, I, I think, a, a fact about Washington that uh, here here's two men writing biographies, and they saw the need to put this in the biographies. But again, Washington really failed at at his uh, tobacco planning. This is at the uh, top of page one ten in the Ron Chernow book, and again, I do highly recommend this book for you says, in the 1760s, Washington letters on his tobacco trade often read like one long Jeremiah. <laughs> so, so you can see that he, he was losing in his, in his battle to be a tobacco producer. said, he started out with a bumper crop of 147,000 pounds in his first year of marriage, only to be repeatedly victimized by the vagaries of weather. And uh, this is a quote from from uh, George Washington's journals, and he has extensive journals. He says, we have had one of the most severe droughts in these parts that was ever known and without a speedy interposition of providence in sending us moderate and refreshing rains to mollify and soften the earth, we shall not make one ounce of tobacco this year. And uh, that's what he reported to one of his friends in 1762. says, uh, he goes on to say the next year his wheat crop was attacked by fungus known as rust, while his Indian corn and tobacco were choked by weeds and grass spawned by incessant rains. The mediocre quality of his leaves further depressed the price his tobacco drew in London, making it impossible to pare down debt. At melancholy moments, Washington sounded as if the elements conspired to punish his crops. And so so uh, I, I think that's... that's uh, Really interesting that Chernow brings that out. So, so uh, here we here we know that George Washington, uh, let's say, wasn't the most experienced, uh, you know, planter anyway. And uh, uh, here's what Chernow also says. This is page one hundred nine. 
Though an inexperienced planter, the enterprise in Washington was determined to produce high-quality tobacco, and to that end he expanded his acreage and revealed a scientific bent as he dabbled with different varieties. And so, so the reason I'm reading that is to show that, um, you know, that, that uh, George Washington, even though he may have been inexperienced, he did begin to study and study um, how to produce tobacco. Now, I'll, I'm going to go back now to, to uh, the Paul Johnson book and just continue there. It says, um, again, speaking of Washington, Johnson says, he recognized that tobacco had in the 17th century been the making of Virginia, but he disliked smoking and thought raising poor quality tobacco, which was the only kind now possible in the exhausted tidelands, a formula for idleness and debt. Indeed, tobacco farming had gotten him into debt, and he was in debt before his marriage, and in his efforts to reorient his entire estates to mixed farming, he not only got through the cash reserves and audit of the Custis inheritance, but contracted further debts, or so he complained in his letters. And so so essentially what happened is, uh, even even when he was a tobacco farmer, I think it's interesting that Johnson points out he really dis- he was really disgusted with smoking, and the more I read about uh, George Washington, the more I could see that he was he was a man that was really into being healthy, but also he uh, he knew that that uh, smoking was a, a problem for people's health, and uh, you know it was not good for people. But essentially, uh, he did go into debt over uh, tobacco farming. Now, one one thing that also I think uh, I'm not going to necessarily read a lot of this. But uh, what what Johnson says is that that his debt was really not the same as it was, let's say, for us today. And, and essentially, what Johnson points out is is that that uh, Washington, by this time, you know, uh, he uh, had married Martha, and they they inherited large properties, and so so his his liabilities never exceeded his assets. But but essentially, when when we read Washington's letters about complaining about debt, it's really involved the tobacco system and the way England was managing it all. And really, it was really hurting the, the colonists and the way they were doing it. And so, um, essentially, what uh, Washington decided to do, and this is what really made him, I'd say, a great agricultural pioneer, is he decided to go ahead and make the shift from planting tobacco to now planting crops. And actually he got himself into food production, which actually would be uh, an advantage to the colonies as a whole because people could rely on, uh, let's say, uh, another colony instead of having to go all the way to England for certain of their goods. Um, uh, I just think he, he really, um, he was really a deep thinker and a, and a far-ranging thinker. Uh, here's what Johnson says about um, Washington's uh, move to producing food crops. He said, Washington's object in recapitalizing his farming business to some extent on borrowed money was to undertake large-scale agriculture on the new English model. Then and always he admired things English with notable exceptions. England was going through an agricultural revolution thanks to the work of such innovators as Turnip Townsend, Jethro Tull and the Coke of Norfolk. 
Their improvements were to make possible to feed the offspring of the demographic revolution that was just beginning and to, to enable the industrial revolution, the first hit, uh, hints of which were apparent to take place and transform the world. The population of the American colonies was growing. Thanks to spectacularly high birth rates and immigration, even faster than Britain's was, how were these teeming mouths to be fed? Well, the answer, as Washington saw it, was to expand inland to the rich agricultural land he examined on the far side of the mountains and to work it with modern English farming methods. And so, so essentially what Washington did is he saw that the real secret to getting away from slavery and the real secret to breaking, let's say, ties with England economically was to begin to produce our own food in the colonies and uh, to do it on a grand scale. Now, remember, uh, Mount Vernon eventually took in four different estates, and so he began to diversify himself and to get away from tobacco production. So uh, here's here's how um, he began to do it. And so um, uh, this is what Johnson, he continues to say. Uh, he said... Uh, It was because the best English farming was a judicious mixture of arable, pasture, and stock raising, all for the market. He noted that, whereas tobacco had to be marketed overseas, with the growth of American cities, especially New York, Philadelphia, and Baltimore, a big and growing market in foodstuffs already existed. So his first move was to shift to wheat production. This meant investment. One reason why Washington was in debt, even more so after his marriage than before, was that he was putting money into land and livestock uh, as he switched from planting to farming. Wheat was less labor-intensive than tobacco. A skilled plowman could do work of 40 slow-hoeing slaves, but it demanded large numbers of draft animals, and they in turn needed large quantities of hay. So he planted corn fodder as well as wheat. He raised root crops and experimented with forage crops as clover and alfalfa. He also put out fields for cattle and hogs. They, in turn, and his plow horses produced manure, which he used as fertilizer. He grew peas and potatoes, planted vines, set up fruit and vegetable gardens not only at Mount Vernon but in all his farms. He detailed seasonal, weekly, and daily work procedures. He became an expert in many tasks, wheat threshing, fruit tree grafting, sheep shearing, fishing for herring, and dragging for sturgeon. And listen to this. This is a quote from George Washington's journals. I begin my diurnal course with the sun, he wrote, to make sure my hirelings were at work shortly after. Having ensured that all wheels were in motion, he breakfasted at 7 o'clock. Thereafter, he was riding round my farms, which employs me until it's time to dress for dinner, is what he wrote in one of his journals. So you can see that even the shift to you know, the agricultural production really produced a joy in George Washington. And, if, you know, you can imagine all the times he spent out in the cold in the winter months and on the, fe- in the, uh, on the battlefields, uh, you know, traveling between battlefields in the French and Indian War to come back and to be kind of stabilized on his estates and actually seeing good production and also uh, being able to feed the colonies from food grown in the colonies. I mean, that, that really, um, you, know, you know, was an incredible feat. 
Now, and again, I think it just shows his, his um, you know, forward thinking. Now, the, the, the other thing about this, let's say, um, if you're going to be a farmer, if you're going to be, you know, growing all these things, one of the things that George Washington was really made for that. And the reason is, is he was so detailed in how he spent his time. I mean, if, if you look at uh, uh, George Washington kind of like a uh, time manager, he managed his time. And, of course, he expected, uh, you know, everybody working for him, including the slaves, to be, well, really good at scheduling their time. And so, so when, uh, when he was traveling by horse, the, the thing that both Chernow and Johnson bring out, he probably rode on a horse 20 miles a day. And so to get to all the estates and to make sure everything was going well. But but the thing is, is if you're going to, to produce a lot of food for people and if you're going to be, let's say, wealthy as a farmer, you better be productive. And and George Washington was an incredible man at production. Here's what Johnson has to say about his productivity. It is clear, Johnson writes, he enjoyed routine. But there was play, too. Washington usually enjoyed fox hunting. He was a thruster, especially after he acquired William Lee to thrust with him. The two men would rush at full speed through the brake or tangled one in a style which a modern huntsman would stand aghast. We know the names of his favorite hounds, Jupiter, Tartar, Tipper, Truman. In the season, he hunted three times a week, but also walked several miles after dinner to keep fit. He performed all the social and representational duties appropriate to men of his rank, from vestrymen in the church to sitting in the Virginia House of Burgess, which had been in existence when he joined it. For nearly 150 years, performed most of the normal functions of government and seemed as solidly a part of the natural order of things as the Parliament in the Westminster itself. He and Martha also entertained. Between 1768 and 1775, they had to dinner more than 2,000 people most of them, as he put it, people of rank. Now, that's a lot of activity. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing uh, how much he got done. Even Chernow, uh, he, he really spends a lot of time with his um, efforts to be very productive. And here's what Chernow says. He says... Uh, uh, Referring to George Washington, he said he was a master of the profitable use of time. Washington listed his monthly doings in his diary under the rubric, Where and How My Time is Spent. Whether for business or social occasions, his punctuality was legendary, and he expected everyone to be on time. In his business dealings, he boasted that no man discharges the demand of wages or fulfills agreements with more punctuality than I do. He was preoccupied with timepieces throughout his life. Washington aspired to stand at the center of an orderly clockwork universe. He accorded the sundial a central spot on his mansion lawn, as if to suggest that everything hinged on the proper allotment of time. Invariably, he glanced at it when returning home from rides. As president, he loved to employ his leisure time by strolling over to see his Philadelphia watchmakers. No one ever appreciated better than George Washington the value of time and the art of making use of it, recalled a French businessman. His love of ritual, habit, and order enabled him to sustain the long, involved tasks that distinguished his life. 
System in all things is the soul of business, he liked to say. To deliberately, maturely, and execute promptly is the way to conduct it to advantage. And so so it's, it is amazing, but Washington just benefited from the regularity of his daily routine and found nothing monotonous about it at all. Well, that's all we have time for today's program. Next time, we'll continue this discussion on George Washington, agricultural pioneer. Remember, our third and final book in this series is Hero, The Life and Legend of Lawrence of Arabia. You can buy this book at Amazon.com. You can also find a good used copy of the book at abebooks.com. Of course, you can also check your local library. Please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. And remember, you can leave me a comment at Facebook. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.